Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this episode, the doc talks one-on-one with Jerome Benton in part one of a two-part interview. We also discuss Maite's LA book signing, Andre Simone's show in Hollywood, and the latest Prince news. And now, if he wants to buy a Sam Cooke album, he goes to the Recosto. Dr. Funkenberry. Uh, we're going to keep the party moving, y'all. What's going on? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast with our very special one-on-one interview with the one, the only, Jerome Benton. Yay, yay. Tricky in the house. Uh, thank you guys so much must for... Be talk about me, cousin. Oh, Lord. Just as long as it's not a cousin, cousin. Cousin. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to us on Stitcher when it works on iTunes. Thank you guys so much for donations and other things. Keep everything flowing. And uh, Chris, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm excited about this episode. What? Ooh, this is going to be awesome, man. We got JB. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's always more exciting having JB in the house than say someone from Philly or anything, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. We're going to keep it going with that. Let's cover a few news items before we bring in Jerome. Yes. Um have a few things that need to be covered. Uh last week we saw that um a lawyer that has the name of a relative uh was trying to get $600,000 from the estate mm-hmm. for Prince's second divorce. Uh, I just found it interesting that in his file that Prince always paid bills on time, but you're trying to get a bill from 10 years ago from a divorce, number one. And number two is we know that Prince didn't pay bills on time. <laughs> you had to, you had to come get your money from Prince. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. He was very good about uh, waiting to the last minute to pay bills. Dude, you know what? This guy last year, he sold one of Prince's properties without the estate realizing it. And for around $600,000, that's like his mark. Mm. Um, it's just crazy. That's chalk one up for the kid on that one for the good guys that he didn't get the money that the lawyer threw it out immediately. Um, another thing that's interesting is that the entertainment advisor for the Prince estate now uh, is the former guy. Yeah. For Spotify. Yeah, that's crazy. And what's interesting about that, what do you think about that, first of all, Chris? Well, I don't know the guy. So it's just, it was just kind of uh, a headline to me. So I didn't really think much of it. The, the thing that really threw me is that mm-hmm. he is. Uh, you know, from that he worked at Spotify. Right. So it's not too long. He started there in July of 2016 was after 421, 2016. Okay. Prince had problems with Spotify beforehand. Uh, Troy Carter is the guy's name. What's interesting is, is Prince has talked to me about Troy before, but only referred to him as Gaga's manager to me. Ah, so he used to be Gaga's manager. Yes. Okay. So one time during the Andy Allo, uh, recording sessions. Prince played me Superconductor where it has that piano part in the middle. This is Prince's way of letting me know it's him on piano. He told Julia, his manager at the time, call Gaga's manager. 
tell Gaga I ain't scared of her piano playing till she can play like me. I ain't scared of her. And then a few times he brought up Gaga's manager. And then Julia kind of told me offhand that she does call Gaga's manager a lot because Prince wants to talk with him. So Troy did have a relationship with Prince. He would refer to her as Gaga's manager, but he did have a relationship. There was respect there as far as I can tell. We didn't delve into it. Um, so I know that people are kind of scared about the Spotify situation, but as someone who was an engineer around that time, uh, told me earlier, he's like, let's wait and see what happens till afterwards. Yeah. So they have a history. That's kind of cool. They did have a history. And again, he was not with Spotify until July of 2016. Okay. Troy Carter. I don't know if you've seen his picture. He looks like a young, a young guy. Looks like he's got his stuff together. Cool. So let's see what happens. So what's his Um, capacity going to be in this role? Just an entertainment advisor for for different things. It doesn't really specify. But what's interesting is, is officially now, Londell and Koppelman are gone. Londell McMillan and Michael Koppelman are no longer advising the Prince Estate. That was somewhat left over from Bremer Trust, and then Comerica was still having them do it. Uh, Comerica's choice was Troy Carter, Hmm. which is the guy from Spotify. Um it seems like things are coming together. Like I understand Prince has issues with Spotify. We all understand that. Um, but again, Troy wasn't there when his issues with Spotify were happening. Okay. So I'm going to give him a fair shake. Yeah. Yeah. See I did happens. put on the tweet, you know, Troy, you know, I put Spotify or oh, yes, Spotify again. I'm not saying much. I'm just alluding to things just like when last week, when the Andy Warhol estate, is going after a photographer of an image of Prince that Warhol used uh, for an iconic Prince image and which was used on a tribute magazine that Vanity Fair put out last year. So the photographer was saying, oh, it's my print, all this stuff. So they went after the photographer. I put in the tweet, the estate goes after photographer, Warhol's estate. And people are like, it's, it's not Prince's estate going after him, it's Warhol's estate. I went, I never said Prince's estate. Yeah, I read it that way too. Because anytime I hear the estate from you, right. you just immediately default to Prince Estate. So see, I was yeah. kind of doing a little wordplay, and, but and then it said in the freaking yeah, first two headlines of the tweet, it says it. It says it, and then people are like, if you read the full article, I'm like, I don't yeah. even need to read the full article. But I did, but it's right there yeah. in the first two lines. Yeah, so you got me. <laughs> but people try to get me all the time. It's like some game, like let's stump the doc, and I'm like. People are telling me about it. They're saying you're kind of coming off as a dick, but, you know, not me, but the person that's trying to do it. Um, so you had that. You have Troy. And now you have uh, the heirs. The six siblings are wanting the judge to rule quicker that they're the only heirs. They don't think that he has any children or anyone else that should be stepping up claiming it. Um, now, yeah. I want to get into this real quick. Before, because you went to the Maite book signing, you went to the Andre Simone performance, which had a plethora of people there. Um, Maite brought up in the interview uh, two things I found interesting. Number one, in the Nightline interview that she spoke to me was written about her, which isn't in the book, which I would have loved to know that, but glad I saw the interview of it. Um, The other thing is, like we always talked about that Prince didn't have a will on file. Um, Didn't have it. If not, to go back to it. Now, when he was married to Maite and when he was married to Manuela, there were wills. 
I'm not sure if the one with Maite was filed, but she's not lying, people. There was a will around when Maite was around, so stop giving her a hard time over that. Um, I'm not getting into specifics about the book. This is something that is legit, and he mentioned to Jim Walsh, who wrote this new book called The Gold Reports, um, that if something happens to him in 96, something happens to him, there someone was trying to get him. So whether it was paranoia or whatever, he didn't feel safe. So there was a will made at that time, just like there was a will around when Manuela was married to him. After that, he refused to talk about wills with Londell, with Patrick Cousins, with Van Jones, with assistants, with managers. He did not want to deal with it. The last thing he said in 2014 is someone I don't plan on dying. Um, but whether it was filed with Maite or whatnot with a lawyer is another story. Mm-hmm. We're talking about there's no wills on record. There was not any wills on record Official. to go back to. Yeah. But he had those stricken after their divorce each time. And I know... That's a hard point for everyone because everyone wishes he would have a will that this stuff wouldn't be going on now and that they wish somewhat either Manuela or Maite was still married to him in some capacity because then this doesn't happen. Right. You know? Yep. Uh, And look, I'm not trying to defend anyone. I keep getting such a hard time over this. Just trying to give you the facts. She's not lying. She's not making it up. It is 100% legit. And you went to the book signing of Maite on Monday. Yes, I did. Um, how was it? Uh, it was packed. Right. Standing room only. Uh, they had, I can't even count how many rows, maybe maybe 200 people uh-huh. total, uh, right. maybe 150 of those seated. Um, so there are about 50 people standing. Right. Um, so it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um it was great to see all the fans out there. You know, the bump squad was repping in the front row there and our new friends, the purple army of Los Angeles were there. LA, yes. And bump group. squad. So yeah, we, we yeah. talked to them. So cool. I got to talk to some new people too, which was cool. Very cool. Um, she, she brought her parents. So both her mother and father were there and Gia right. sat with her on stage, which was really cute. Right. And apparently Gia wanted to sit there, correct? Yeah, she wanted okay, to sit with wanted mommy. To, wanted to clarify that because I saw some comments. Oh, people might have misconstrued it as like, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, Gia was okay. adamant. She wanted to sit on mommy's lap and they brought her a chair. Okay. It was really cute. And she was adorable the whole time, making faces, right. just like silly faces. It was pretty funny. Now, you didn't. You just went to hang with the fans. You didn't want to get your book signed or anything, No, right? I didn't. I actually okay. didn't get my book signed. Um I was just there, yeah, to be with the people and to hang out and okay. just to hear what she had to say. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Um, she read some parts of the book, you know, for about, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes and did some Q&A, right. which was pretty cool. So, And I'm curious because I did see at some of the other book signings, like the one that they're having in the Bay Area, uh, that they had those be a ticketed situation. Was that, was everyone pretty on board with Maite there or was there any people that no it was all it was all love from what I saw yeah everyone was pretty cool and she was great um 
there, you know, there was a, I think a cut, one of the questions, I can't remember exactly, but I remember it was kind of dark. Um, it was kind of negative, but it wasn't negative towards her. It was just, you know, about the time, you know, but, uh, gosh, I can't remember what it was. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, but most of it was, it was all positive and it was, everyone there was great. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about it. If not, we can always delete this from it. Uh, you read the book on Sunday. Yep. Uh, did you have tissues near? Uh, I, I, I should have. Okay. Yeah. It was tough. I listened to the audio book cause I think that was the only way I was going to be able to get through it. Yeah. After reading the prologue, I, I had a hard time getting even through the prologue and I'm sure a lot of people kind of hit them right in the face in the beginning and it was, yeah, the emotions come up and you're like, Oh, here we go. So after a couple mm-hmm. chapters, I'm like, you know what? Let me get the audio book. A so listener of our show, Lily, um, she got the audiobook and she's like, that's the way to go. Like you can hear more of the emotions. And it's Maite, Maite reading the book. So that's, it's like, you've got a little extra, you know, you're going to read it in her, in her voice anyway. So yeah. why not listen to it? I just want to reiterate. That's what I'm being told is the way to go. I do not have the audiobook. <laughs> I don't need to get anything. It's just when someone asked a question on Twitter, I just said, from what I'm hearing, the audiobook is the way to go. Yeah. Um, also, someone brought up to me in a private message on Facebook that I didn't bring up that Maite has MS. Um, there was just a lot going on that day. People got to understand something. I'm kind of dealing with a foot injury and a few other things. So I try to be on the ball of everything. And I'm sorry that I'm not as much. It wasn't an over, it was an oversight by me. It wasn't done on purpose. I think that's something terrible to happen. You know, I remember growing up and Annette Finicello had that at the Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. Club. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just terrible. And we still live in a world where I'm a diabetic and she has MS that we don't have cures for these things. And yeah. it seems, especially like with Parkinson's with Michael J. Fox, that it seems like the stem cell research that they're doing overseas could help with these things, but we don't know about it. Now, was there anything else about the Maite book that you wanted to discuss before uh, we got into the Andre Simone thing? Um, I don't want to do any spoiler alerts. There was okay. what I would do want to point well, the out. the book signing or whatnot. Yeah. Go ahead. But, well, in just the book in general, uh-huh. I, I love the book. Huh. I heard I got a lot of information. Keep in mind, that's Chris saying that. Okay. <laughs> that's my Thanks. opinion. Right. But uh, I, I thought it was great. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of personal stuff that she could not have gone into. Maybe the uh-huh. last chapter or two didn't really care about, didn't need to know about personal beef with whoever. Um, but there was a lot of interesting tidbits of, you know, things that, you know, rehearsals and music videos and stuff. It was just really cool. You know, you want right. to know about the man, you know, I didn't need to know about, you know, the date that she lost her virginity. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it was cool to see, to really her go into how she met him and how that relationship okay. turned into a romantic relationship. I thought that was really cool from a Prince okay. fan. You won't be disappointed. I don't think. Interesting. All right. Let's Tuesday night, Andre Simone at hotel cafe. And you know, like his wife hit me up, like, can you be there? And I was telling her if I get approved by my doctor. I'll go. And you were trying to have me go. And my main yeah. thing was, is that I have a bigger objective, but it kind of hurt 
me a little bit when I heard who was there and what happened. So can you elaborate? I hear yeah. it was crazy packed. So we've been to Hotel Cafe numerous times. Love it. Right? Great venue. That's kind of like our, our home venue to see Andy Allo when she's in town. She really loves to play there. Right. And we've been there multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, the vibe, first of all, I've never, have you ever seen a line to get into Hotel Cafe? Only after Katy Perry returned there when she used to play there and play to less crowds than Andy Allo Okay, did. okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, and was, Smashing Pumpkins line was there. I waited in line. I'm uh, like, what is this? So you knew that, I mean, right off the bat, you could just tell there was crazy. a vibe. It was packed. It was mm-hmm. absolutely packed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, I mean, even people at the bar, it was a couple of people deep just to get something at the bar. Wow. And, um, you know, saw our friends, same, pretty much same crowd that was at the, uh, the right. signing was there. It was cool to see some new faces and some old faces we haven't seen in years. So it was really cool. Mm-hmm. The crowd came out. And right away I saw Jill Jones in the parking lot when I parked. So I'm like, oh, Jill Jones is here. That's cool. And she had a reserved table. And I actually, I right before the show started, a friend of mine was seated. And so uh, me and my friend Angela was trying to sit down. And this table was just sitting there. So we figured, okay, the show's about to start. Yeah. Let's just sit down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sat down. And as soon as we didn't even get comfortable yet, and all of a sudden... Uh, the guy that's sitting right behind us or behind that table says, Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, but um, the people are coming that's sitting there. I know who they are. And I turn around and it's Van Jones and his wife, uh, fans of the podcast, I found out, which was really, yeah. really cool. Anyway, so you gotta it was tell just, me about that. Yeah, it was kind of funny. But anyway, mm-hmm. so we, uh, you know, we didn't mean any. I'm like, Oh, no, sorry, so sorry, mm-hmm. and no problem. Did and you try to make everything smoother? Is that why you said you dropped my name, Dr. Funk, just so he wouldn't <laughs> get mad at you? No, no, that, okay. that came, uh, uh, did I, no, I did. I think I did do it right then and there. I didn't do it after the show. Yeah. And okay. I said, Oh, no problem. Sorry. I'm, Oh, <clears throat> by the way, you're van, right? And he goes, Oh yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you know, great to meet you. Shook his hand. He's really nice. And I said, you know, really good friend of mine is Dr. Funkenberry. Cause I knew that he knew he were, I had to drop the name cause I wanted to tell him, you know, right. cause I know that you, you really respect him and I respect him. He was the one guy on April 21st that I loved what he had to say. Cause he right. really stood up for our guy. See, apparently I'm told there's such thing as Funkenberry groupies or funk groupies. I guess Van is the president from what I'm told. Uh, no. <laughs> uh oh. I didn't say that. No, but um, I just told him and he's, and they said, Oh yeah, we love him. You know, I'm and his wife, I, I believe it was his wife. I'm sorry. I didn't get ask her name and I should have, right. but she goes, we're huge fans of his and we listen to every show. Awesome. And I said, thank you guys. I said, Oh, the podcast. And she said, yeah. And I go, well, it just so happened. My name is Chris. I'm the pro the, the producer and uh, co-host. <laughs> I, I gave myself a promotion to co-host. So there you hope go. you don't mind. I was, uh, I was in the moment. And uh, no, nah, it was funny. And she was just really nice. She's like, yeah, we try to listen to everyone. You know, she said, tell them said hi. No, it was really awesome. cool. Yeah, it, it made my night. It was pretty cool. I was like wanting to hit you up and go, can you say hi to Andre and Catherine for me? Because they were like, we'll save a seat for you. We'll make sure to get a seat. Uh, and I was just like. Well, I wasn't yeah. able to talk to Andre, unfortunately. What's wrong with you? I know. He, he would have been cool. Yeah, he was in the back for a long time. And he actually was helping load the equipment after the gig. Wow. Which was the gig was phenomenal. Really, um, he has Glad a to hear that. yeah. He has a really I I want to kind of say like a Lenny vibe, 
you know, it reminded me a little bit of Lenny, if you just kind of close your eyes. And so bought the new album, you know, wanted to support the artist, got the, got the CD. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. After the show, uh, I heard that Apollonia was there. Apollonia? I, that Apollonia girl? No. But um, yeah, she came out and she walked around and she was really nice taking pictures with people. So that was really cool. Wait, so she was being nice to the fans? <laughs> yeah. Wow. She was. Okay. Well, that wasn't the case in Minneapolis. Uh-oh. Anyway, but I'm glad that she's being nice to the fans now yeah. in LA. Yeah, it was so great. So she was really she would like stop and take photos and stuff. She was mingling, you know, in that there's a uh, like a lobby area outside yeah. of the actual venue inside yeah. still. Okay. Um, by the merch place and yeah, she hung out. She hung out for a while huh. and was taking pictures. It was pretty cool. Um, and then the person that I didn't recognize, so this was after the fact, was that um, Prince's half brother Omar was not is it half brother, full brother, full well, brother. Well, <laughs> brother. His, brother, let's just call him brother. Omar, Omar, yeah, Omar was there. So, and I know that <laughs> you really wanted to say hi to him. <sighs> I've been trying to talk to the dude for a while. Yeah, because. He's trying to do right by his brother. Mm-hmm. And now Taika and him are on the same page. It's like, I just I want I want to help, man. Yeah. Like, that's why I feel I need to be there next week. Well, and we're, we're Maybe he's listening. That. Who knows, you know? But I just, I want to help. Yeah. Well, and, and you are helping. You're helping a lot of people. I'm getting a lot of feedback. And it's really cool to hear people saying how, how much uh, this show has really helped him over the last year. So I appreciate cool. it. My main yeah. thing is, is just, I want things to run smoother. I want, I want Paisley to still be Paisley. I want the estate to be making money. This whole tax thing. I want to go away. I will just, you know, yeah, just, you know, yep. Um, I didn't, I was gave him a space. I didn't, I don't like meeting people for the first time at memorials and that was the last time I saw him was yeah. at the LA Memorial. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I talked with everyone that I knew. Um, the only person that I didn't meet before, but I we did talk through text and through Facebook was uh, Lala. But I kind of feel after Memorial Service, that's not the time to be introducing yeah, yourself. I hear you. So, um, but, um, so, yeah, that was all that. I'm sure there were more, uh, more uh, celebrities there because it was just, packed it was packed with a ton of people and the vibe was awesome matthew was there lenny lenny's like right hand guy oh yeah so matthew britain yeah yeah we talked you talked about him on the podcast before yeah that's cool we'll get him on eventually he's coming out with a really cool uh project yeah also the documentary so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um the two print songs that he sang it was kind of cool first was uh when you were mine Mm -hmm. with jill jones on vocals which was awesome. So she jumped up. It sounded great. I love, I love it when he does that song because it reminds me of when (laughs) Prince and Lenny Kravitz sang it on MTV that one time, way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, 93, the New York show where they showed a little clip of it. A little clip. It's out there now, the full version, by the way. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's on that laptop that you're on right now. Oh, Hey, anyway, um, copy save. (laughs) Um, and so, so it was cool because I started as soon as he started playing that I did a I did a video on Facebook and I had never done one so and yeah. uh, I let it roll and I wasn't expecting it but Jill came out about three songs later slowed it down Andre grabs the acoustic guitar 
and sometimes it snows in April. Oh God, no! It was tears. I mean, you could see everyone. Everybody was, you know, ooh, yeah, yeah. I can't deal with that yet, man. And a lot of people can't. A lot of people. That was the first like, time they had heard that song since since before last April. And I know for you, you had to hear it at the Revolution shows. Yeah. So now here you were getting it again. Yeah. It's like tearing, tearing at the heartstrings. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot easier to hear it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot different in September. I'll tell you that. That was right. rough. So yeah, Oof. but it was just. I tried to focus. I mean, it was just. They did a really good job with it. Okay. I love Jill's vocals. She did a great job. Okay. So yeah, it was really nice. Great show. You know how Hotel Cafe is. It's a solid 50 minutes and that's it. Yeah. So he put a lot of funk into that time and it was awesome. Had a blast. And uh, found out Jill Jones is going to be doing a gig in LA. Um, Yeah. May 9th, I believe it was. We'll get more details. But yeah, she's going to be doing some some Hmm. stuff in LA. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Did he do Dance Electric? No, yeah. he didn't. You know why? Because he Never can only play it. for 50 minutes. He'd only be able to do the one song. Well, that's if you do that <laughs> long of a version. Right. Yeah. No, I know. That was um, the only bummer is that he didn't do dance like. But I'm really glad that you enjoyed the show. I'm really glad there were a bunch of people out there to yeah. support him. I wish you could have made it next time. Yeah. yeah Just right. got to hope with the foot thing. Speaking of which, like, I try to be different and try to ask for help and then you just have more people wondering where I'm going to be next week. And it's just kind of frustrating. I know that you're saying it's because people care and they want to look out for you. I'm like, yep. kind of need the help now just to make sure I'm off the foot. Um, and I'm just not really getting into that. As I said before, if they need me there, I'll be there. And that's what I used to say about Prince. People like, are you going to be, are you going to be there? Are you going to be here? Are you going to be there? And every time I'd say, if Prince needs me, he knows I'll be there. So if they need me there, I'll be there. I know some people don't like that answer. I'm sorry. That's all I can give. That's what I gave when he was here. Don't take it as anything else than that. Just let it be, you know, and I'm glad that you guys are going. I want you guys to have a good time. We want your input. We had a lot of special things planned for you. Did you see that panel? Uh, yeah, that was a long list. That yeah. was a really long list. It's great. It's going to be yeah. awesome. I saw some uh, some um, people that have been on the podcast are going to be on there. and Chris James. That's right. So it's going to be really cool to hear. Hopefully, we can get some of those guys back on after the celebration mm-hmm. and get you know their thoughts about the celebrations. I don't think we'll get Takumi, but Takumi will be there. That's awesome. So that's Takumi, incredible. The, yeah, his guitar tech from, gosh, for a long period of time 90s that prince counted on yep through the one night alone musicology musicology yeah you know up until the 31 21 era basically yeah um just it's impressive i saw afshin is going to be there afshin will be on our show steve park we really want to get him on for the u.s release of his book yes um the uk version's out right yeah you know you can order it and have it delivered in the U.S. Yeah, I'm waiting on mine. <laughs> I didn't order it, but I appreciate the gesture, yeah. just like with uh, some other books that I've gotten recently. Um, I like Big Bites on Cadillac. Um, just a lot of the names on there. Like I said, Afshin's going to be there. Wendy, Bobby. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Bobby's got stories, dude. Like, as we kind of talk about, 
with Jerome, like the basement jams sessions and Andre was in on that too. So, right. Yeah. Um, we're going to have so much stuff over the next few weeks that's getting planned right now. We're going to get into part one of our one on one interview yeah. with tricky. Mm-hmm. Who's draws? My draws. <laughs> so exactly. Cool. Oh, this is such a cool interview. You guys are going to love it. Much love to everyone. Keep it funky. Thank you for listening up to the news section. Now you can get to the good stuff. Uh, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast with the one-on-one interview with the one and only JB, Jerome Benton in the house. What is up, Jerome? Not much, Jeremiah. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. Oh, I've been wanting you on the podcast for a while, so I really appreciate you making time for us. You know I'm elusive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we like it. And we like that we can get you, though. So it's all good. You know, when when it's time, I show up. You know? Wow. When it's time, I show up. There you go. (laughs) No no pun intended, right? No, not not at all. (laughs) All right. So... Let's dive in, shall we? Let's get let's get deep here. How did how did you and Prince Rogers Nelson how did how did y'all meet? How did that come to be? Well, neighborhood, you know, it's a story that's been told twenty thousand times. You know, <laughs> the, the fans, you know, the people mm-hmm. that follow follow our career for you know thirty five plus years know know the story but basically you know uh terry lewis is my brother not stepbrother he's my brother same mother (laughs) right sleep in the same bed share the same clothes got whoopings together uh explore explore the community together anyway um i uh hung around terry terry watched over me as a young young big brother right and um Anything that Terry got into, I was on the fringes of, of being close to it as well. And um, uh, Prince just happened to be in the community and doing the music thing and watching Terry, you know, proceed and in, into learning his uh, craft and which he makes a bunch of money doing now. Um, uh, <laughs> Prince was in the same, you know, in the same stream. So uh, I was close by and became friends with Prince over the years. Mm-hmm. Now, were you hearing like basement jams or what did you hear going on? Did you like hear him play or did you just like meet him without hearing him play? No, first, you know, you you, you see people around the neighborhood, you know, right. and you see them at school, you see them uh, at the, the events that were thrown in the, in the community at the, the way, um, uh, as a young kid, you know, getting older and being able to go out to the uh, events that the local bands were playing in, um, got to experience him there. You know, uh, Terry had, along with Jelly Bean, and uh, eventually uh, Monty, uh, Monty and, and and Jimmy Jam, they were um, in a group that was uh, very busy around town, and they threw their own events and. Right. They needed someone there to to monitor <laughs> what was going on, right? At the level at the level I could, so you know, 
Prince and Morris and Andre, they would, would come to the different events, either um, just to show, show support and see what was going on, or they were all on the same event, you know, as Battle of the Bands. And uh, a lot of times I, I was uh, in control of the door at a young age and right. um, became friends with those guys. Of course, you're passing on the, you know, uh, the favor of not charging them to get in. They would come in and we became friends from that point. So, right now, <clears throat> did you have any idea at that time, the success that Prince was going to have? Like, you're like, oh, this guy's going to make it. And then you guys would also be brought up along with that eventually. Did you have any idea? I'm sure that was always the focal point of jamming was to have this level of success and be able to create. But did you know it was ever going to get to that level? No, you know, I was, I was doing my own thing. I was, I was attending school uh-huh. at Iowa, Iowa State uh-huh. and pursuing football and um, was pretty good at it. You know, you know, every now and then I run into folks that I've played with in high school or uh, I get emails from folks that I've played with in college. And, you know, that was one of the things that I loved most was, was football. And, just being able to do it and hang out with my brother on the weekends, that was just a cool little event as well. Always, you know, the cool thing is hanging out in the clubs. So I took advantage of it. Um, So the process of them becoming huge successes in in music and and becoming a band, you know, I was just there. Right. and just really enjoying it. You know, I had the, I always call it the most perfect spot as a fan, mm. <laughs> mm. which, which eventually turned into something else. The, the ideal of, of how big they were going to become, I, I, there was no concept in my, my mind of what that was all about. And they mm. were big at that time for being in Minneapolis. Those were all the, the elements that were, were part of the growth. You know, you had Sonny Thompson and and Cynthia Johnson and Alexander O'Neill and Rocky Robbins and and all those guys playing and Battle of the Bands back and forth and all that. So, you know, but Prince was the one that got out. And when he when he came out with his first song, that was the thing that made me really pay attention to what really was going on because again like i said my attention was focused on sports not the the uh the element of what was a good music based band or what was a, a great song it was a song that i liked and you know back then i liked james brown i like cameo i like gordon lightfoot shoot <laughs> so i just like music and and that was my my goal right um, so now, when when were you brought on to be a part of the time and for everything to get going? Was it, it wasn't like from the exact start, right? Well, like I said just a second ago, is that uh-huh. you know I would hang around right. Terry and and flight time and mm-hmm. and do a lot of the like roadie work and stuff. Um, Terry, Jellybean, Monty, and Jimmy Jam were offered the the role as the the band, right? That's known as the Time, 
those are the original guys, along with Morris. And Prince needed someone to to do some roadie work, to set up the equipment, to 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 help the band with little needs and a, a golfer. I was basically a golfer. Right. And Prince asked Terry, was I available to do it? And I was working a, a regular job that I didn't like. Huh. Didn't didn't like the people, but I was doing it because I had to. Right. And um, offered me a position making <laughs> uh, when I ain't gonna go there. <laughs> but it was enough to get away from doing what I was doing. Right. Um, and I took the job and I became a roadie for the band. Right. Um, that ended up, you know, uh, put me in a position to to help uh, find some clothes for for the band members. And there was a store that I'd like to go to. I like to dress, you know, real retro in the the forties with the the skinny tie, the white shirt, and the baggy pants, and you know, a pair of Stacy Adams if that's what was available. Yes. And, um, Always hanging out, always hanging out, doing doing the thing, and always groomed, always right. groomed, and uh, and that carried over into um, some of the some of the clothing that that Terry used for the uh, photo shoot. And long story short, as Prince said, you know, can you find some things like that for the band? I was like, yeah, okay. How much going to cost you? I gave him a number. He said, can you do it for this? I went, got it done. <laughs> And brought it back, and some of the elements that you see on the, the first album cover, bam, I partake, I partook in that. So, very cool. Now, how did it come about for you to be more on stage during the concerts and be a presence for all of that? Was it Prince's idea, or the band wanted you more into it? How did that come to be? Well, all of it started with Prince. Um, right. Myself and uh, James McGregor, who is now a, a big production manager for some some really huge artists like uh, Beyonce and Janet Jackson. <laughs> um, Janet. We we happened to to go to Iowa State together. We were roommates, and you know the parties that we would frequent. We would do little routines and and dance, and, right? Um, and of course, love dancing back then. You know, getting it in. Right. Um, during you know the uh, the setup of what the time was going to be about, the band would go through the routines on stage, and I would stand on on the side and do the same thing. And you know, part of the character of me being aggressive, like now, you know, <laughs> I um, I would always have something going on, something fun, or or just trying to 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 keep the the moment light around everything. And the song had the lyric of somebody bring me a mirror in it. Huh. And Prince was there, you know, drilling drilling everybody, and they was funky, always funky, always been funky. Right. No more funkier. No more. No other band funkier than the time. I say that myself. Amen. And uh, if there's any uh, takers, you know what it cost you. It cost you <laughs> some money to see it, and it'll cost you your reputation to mess with us. <laughs> huh. 
<laughs> but um, it says, somebody bring me a mirror. And I took an opportunity at this place called the Yasms that we were rehearsing in. And Prince was there. And in the perfect time moment, uh, <laughs> I brought a mirror up to Morris and put it in front of him. And Prince just rolled, rolled on the floor. <laughs> rolled on the floor. And he said, oh, that's all. So it became part of the, um, the shtick. Right. And, and he said, we're going to do that all the time. Along with that, we continue to, to, to move towards um, choreography and doing things. And right. one, of the little, one of the little elements that um, was in the walk, mm-hmm. I had come up with. And, you know, me and my used to do it in, in college. And it became a part of the, the, the earlier days of the, the band. And uh, I would do it on the side of the stage, side of the stage, side of the stage, and, and just continue to do it. And Prince said, we're going to move you out on stage. I was right. like, oh, shoot. You're going to play some cushions. Oh, shoot. I got to keep time. Oh, shoot. But, and so we moved myself out there. One of the elements in it as well was uh, uh, I would come out and do my little hop skip crisscross slide across the floor move and right. we did it we did it in Detroit for the first time and got a, a major response and that's I think that locked me in to to being a component and you know what has become the most revered you know entity of funky brothers in the world right now and that transpired from everything else in the from the nineteen ninety nine triple threat tour and everything else. Mm-hmm. And this is right when I'm sure that's around the idea of like, hey, I want to start making a movie. Where like ideas being thrown around during the nineteen ninety nine tour that I'm gonna be making a movie, I want you and Morris to be a part of it. Was that even discussed? Or it was just part of the plan? Well, this you're talking about uh post Purple Rain? No. Uh, around the 1999 tour. Oh, and, uh, well, yeah. no, we, we were the last to know about the movie. <laughs> wow. The last you know, to know? For real? You know, we, I, I, you know, maybe that's the wrong thing to say, but um, when we were presented with the idea that we're going to do a movie, it's like, okay. A movie to us was like doing a video at that time. Right. Only thing we knew about film was, you know, the cool video, uh, right. uh, the walk, the you know, all of that. Yeah, and being on stage and and watching and watching the process of of, of videos being done uh, with Prince, you know, all of right. that, all those uh, nineteen ninety nine videos. We got to sit in the we got to sit in the uh, the venue and watch it be filmed. Hmm. We didn't know anything about that. So we were, you know, we were introduced to it, like I said, you know, <laughs> pretty much the last folks, you right. know, it was a, uh, it was a whirlwind when it became real. Right. You know, it went from uh, doing rehearsals and acting classes and dance classes right. to, to us being in front of the camera action. You know, to you know, we we sat up and 
went through some of the casting that they did mm-hmm. for the lead role of Apollonia. Yeah. And 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 rewriting some of the stuff that was written mm-hmm. and to rehearsing <laughs> a rehearsal of the uh, log and thrown in front of the camera in right. sub-zero weather. <laughs> now, because I know that Prince had this vision of wanting to do films for a while because he was already filming a project that didn't come out on the 1999 tour entitled The Second Coming. So I know that that was his big thing of getting a movie contract and to get Purple Rain, the big screen. And with you and Morris, it really seemed, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, you know, it's probably this is going to be the 5,000th and one time, but you guys seemed a more, more professional, more polished than anyone else. Did it just come easier to you guys or? Well, we, our relationship, mm-hmm. our relationship, one second, mm-hmm. one second, mm-hmm. I'm doing an interview. Our, our relationship was a natural one and our comfort zone allows us to be who we are on on stage in front of the camera um i think it's a unique combination and it's difficult for people to write for us <laughs> right but but they can if they you know dealt with dealing with us instead of just assuming that we can, you know, that we're just going to thing that's on there and make it feel comfortable. You know, as a writer now, I know there's some dialogue that fits in people's mouths and there's some dialogue that just don't fit in people's mouths. Right. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times outside of what we do, we run into those issues. Right. Now, but, you know, Prince, Prince captured, he captured it. He captured it. Right. You know, on tour, he watched us do what we do, you know, whether we're sitting in a bar or we're sitting um, on the tour bus or we're doing the in-store and, mm-hmm. and, and dealing with people. He's, he, he, he observed us and he captured it. Right. And he put it on film. Right. Now, okay, we, I got to ask this one along with another question. Yeah. What, where did... The what's the password thing come from? And it's just it's just iconic. That scene, everything about it, and how it flowed. How did that come about? Was that part of the script? Did you guys do that offhand? Prince put it in there. Ah, <laughs> of course. Prince put it in there. And uh, we had uh, we had about 15 minutes to rehearse it. Jeez. <laughs> and we got two takes. <laughs> Wow. Dawn Renee. Dawn Renee. She sat us down and and she drilled us before we even started rehearsing. She she gave us the confidence to do what we needed to do. Uh, she gave us pointers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ran it twice. Mm-hmm. And we were thrown in front of Albert Magnolia and his camera crew. Right. And it came out the way it came. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a blessing. And again, I think you know the essence of what me and Morris do mm-hmm. uh, was recognized by by you know Prince, bless his soul. Um, um, it was recognized by him, 
and he know how to corral what we do. <laughs> right. Just amazing with As it. A, uh, he, he's an amazing dude, you know. Right. He, he's, um, and I've said before, he, he's given me the confidence mm-hmm. to do, to write, and uh, make independent steps. Right. Towards success, so. To this day, this, still, uh, yeah. Yeah, to this day, yeah. And, yeah. you know, anytime I talk to him, uh, he always says, you can do it. Yeah. You're now, another thing I got to ask, just because we see this from the movie, especially because at least one time a year in L.A., they have it on the big screen. There is a one mm-hmm. scene after, I believe it's after uh, Susan and Brenda are rehearsing, which would end up being sex shooter late in the movie. You guys are seen on the street, you know, and it says like you're saying that Apollonia babe we saw last night, but it doesn't sound like you guys are saying Apollonia. Was that overdubbed? I'm just curious, just because that's something that always, whenever I see it on the screen, it seems like the audio isn't matching what Morris is saying. I'm just curious about that. <laughs> I, I haven't looked at it that way. Uh-huh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jerome. Jerome. <laughs> all, right, all right. I'm going to have to ask you that off, off recording, but... It, Come on. You, you, you ask me, you can ask me any other way too, but guess what? Right. <laughs> uh, it's a, a done data. Yeah. <laughs> That's a mystery. That's a mystery. You, know, you can't you can't give up TV magic, man. You can't right. give up film magic. You know, silver mm. screen is an amazing place. Mm-hmm. And and sitting in the audience in Westwood. Mm-hmm. And then coming down here to the the, 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 the Baldwin Hills district where I live uh-huh. and sitting in that theater, it was a prominently black theater that was there mm-hmm. um, and sitting in there after pulling up with Jelly Bean and, and, and Paul to uh, the, the theater in the yellow Cadillac. <laughs> that was an amazing <laughs> thing, right. you know, and, and, and at that time, I didn't know what was going on, right? But we were just out having fun. We were rolling up uh, La Brea Avenue, good, <laughs> across the street from the jungle, right? <laughs> now, when making Purple Rain, again, this is another thing that has to go with it. Did you think this was going to be as huge as be as it became, like a hit immediately, and then? Decades later, you know, it's still an iconic role for you. Did you think during during filming, like, oh man, this this is this is going to be huge? We, no one else has done anything like this, you know. You know, the level of success, um, I didn't really gauge back then. Mm-hmm. Everything we were doing was working. Mm-hmm. Everything, right? Everything under Prince's watch, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. Um, any little bit of success was a major success for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hmm. Again, ha- happy to be there and dumbfounded to the, the, the business side of it. Right. But, but always being put in a position from choices that were being made that always put us in front of, in front of a, a, a fan base that became more loyal and more loyal and more loyal. 
and more responsive. Right. And Prince, who has done that? Who has done that mm-hmm. to this date? Nobody. The first, the, first, the first 20 years of Prince's career had the time and Vanity Six. And Sheila E. as well. And Sheila E. Yep. And, you know, you can't denounce that. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't see how people can say this group of people is better than this group of people. This group of people is better than that group of people. You know what? Find something else to do. Right. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about that is sometimes people will go, what is Prince's best protege? And you want to know what it is? You guys are never mentioned. I say, I say me. Okay. <laughs> what, what's interesting about that is that you guys are never mentioned because the time was so bad, was so funky. A lot of times people would forget that you were a protege of his, that you guys mm-hmm. really did stand on your own. And when he was saying you were the only band that he was scared of, that wasn't promotion. He was scared of you guys to where you guys couldn't play in certain cities because he was afraid that you would shine as, you know, the light wouldn't be shined as bright on him. Kind of like how he took away a little bit of shine from Rick James back in the day. You know, he was. Yeah. You know, one of the first first elements that I remember, um, there was a tour that came to town. Rick James was headlining the tour. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Rick James. Um, Dynasty Shalimar and they played in St. Paul and we all had the opportunity to go there as a band as the time and watch right mm-hmm. and the energy that was exuded that night from stage to the guys standing around and I you know right now talking about it I see I see all the guys standing there in their suits and their garb uh-huh. clean and no record out, but the presence, the presence that was there, mm-hmm. the presence that these guys carried naturally. But again, I say Prince corralled it mm-hmm. and honed it in on something that will always be remembered. Right. So, with you know, Rick James, you know, everybody knows about the, you know, uh, the tumultuous relationship they had on the road. Right. But that was that was a career building. Yep. And you know, Prince became a monster out there. Yep. Monster uh positive why, you know, he became very yeah. good at doing what he does. Mm-hmm. And he took those same elements of learning from that and threw it at us. Right. You know, Rick James tried to try to challenge us with the uh process and the do-rags. And you know, we huh. got into a, a quick little tit for tat and conversation and stuff, but they never came to the stage to meet up with us. Right. Because it was the process and we we did the do rags. <laughs> it's just crazy. Again, again, we as Prince fans, we as Prince employees, there will never be another. another. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, it's great and disheartening at the same time, you know. Um, 
Now we you have know, it's this. Not just, it's not disheartening for me. Uh-huh. I just wish I wish the respect for his wishes and his product would be uh, honored. Right. Whereas it's just not out there. Um, just against his wishes. Right. I understand <laughs> completely. Now and then. We'll have Jimmy and Terry on to explain, you know, what happened during the 1990 tour. We all know about the SOS band and him doing it and letting go. Yeah. And then they weren't part of the Purple Rain movie because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Paul Peterson in the mix, who, you know, from the Peterson family in Minneapolis and how that all came out to be. Now, we're going to flash forward a little bit because Purple Rain had the major success. The premiere, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure that you were treated differently after the movie premiere. I'm sure. Was there any? Was Hollywood knocking on your door to have you be in movies, whether it was with Morris or by yourself? Because Morris was going through a little bit of a of a troubled period at the time. Was Hollywood knocking on your door, seeing that you kind of had a breakout role in the movie, or is that something that you even wanted? Absolutely, they they knocked on my door. I had a couple of roles offered. I had a couple of commercials that came to me, mm-hmm. and um. Um, the faction that Prince was working under, um, I wasn't available. Right. The calls, you know, my phone number wasn't available to these people. Um, <laughs> they couldn't just go to Google and Google me and get a hold of me. They had to right. go through Prince, and I, I wasn't available through his management. Right. Um, I'm sure at that time, some of the elements of, of some of the other movies were were coming to fruition and and you know of course you know Morris had um, ventured into his solo career mm. and and me and Prince began to um, really mesh a real cool relationship right right after Purple Rain um, um, being up under him and hanging out you know going to the clubs uh, uh, going to New York to the clubs going to Rio de Janeiro going to Japan you know. Uh, I want to fly on a SST. I want to go British Airways to to London. Let's go. Right. Wow. Um, you know, jumping on the plane, first class, you know, I'm rolling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're rolling and having fun. Right. And also learning learning the elements of, of, of what it takes to be a star. Right. Now, another thing that came, out, came about after Purple Rain, and we talk about Proteges. Now, although this band only had one single and one album, it was yeah. probably one of the best produced protege Prince albums of all time. You were part of the family with Paul Peterson in a lead vocal position. You had Eric Leeds in there, Susanna Melvoin, you had Jelly Bean. Kind of like, so after the time, there was kind of some elements for you guys to be in the mix on that. How did that come about was this the original concept that prince wanted was the family or is it kind of like how we heard before like alexander o'neill was like supposed to be the lead singer at the time but more was how the family became to be is that how uh how it ended up being did it start that way well the way the way the family came to be was um morris had chosen to go his own direction Mm -hmm. got a record deal and And Paul was that pretty little white dude with some talent that Prince seen. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Prince is a star maker. Right. You know, he could take me with a no singing voice. <laughs> 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 you 
<laughs> and made me into a star. <laughs> there was another. There was another uh, plan that he had for me. Right. So he put Paul in a position. You know, we're traveling. We're hanging out in clubs and hanging out in studios. I'm eating Doritos with him while he's recording because you know mm-hmm. that was one of his favorite foods. And right. you know, just we're really just cool. And you know, he said, "I got this idea. I'm gonna put this band together for you guys. It's gonna be right. you, Paul." Susanna, you know, whatever his relationship was with Susanna was what it was. Right. But it inspired some some things that um, that Paul's uh, presence also inspired. Right. And the coolness of it, you know, he captured again another moment of Prince capturing mm-hmm. talent and and putting it in a place where he could put it in in the and a a, a a DAT player or a, on a CD and listen to. Right. Um, back then it was cassette. And he just created it, you know. And um, again, I'm traveling with him. You know, he's vibing who I am. And it, it allows, it allowed for another, you know, level of creativity through another imagery that he was really cool about. Right. You know, a lot of people always say, you know, his creations are just uh, uh, another way of how he looks at it if he was doing it. So right. that's shit. If, if, <laughs> if Chris was a little white boy, <laughs> he'd be Paul Peterson. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> see, but or he would do something like he, he, he saw Paul Peterson do. Yeah. <laughs> He saw he saw a lot. Let's do it that. Let's do it that way. Absolutely. He saw a lot of talent in Paul. A lot of talent to where he feel he could make movies Absolutely. around him and Absolutely. just be creative. He put Paul like on another level. Un- unfortunately, um, we'll never know what that could have been because at the same time the family was coming to be, and I'm sure this is what frustrated Prince the most about the industry back then is. They really couldn't handle everything he was trying to do at once, unlike now, you know, in the past 10 years or so where they could have done something like that. But they they never could handle what Prince's mm-hmm. goals were. You know, he always had a higher level, you know, right when you right. when you sell 500,000 records, you think that's where Prince wanted to stop. No, right. look at his shows. How many? Come on. How many times you go see Prince? And you're always shocked by something new. Uh, it's fun. It was always a great and fun experience. It's, you know, it's an ADD trait. Right. <laughs> you know, and just with Paul and the family not working out, we heard about, you know, like he was getting a certain amount of money a week. I don't know at that time if it was considered a lot, but it was hard for him to do anything. And then you guys, you and Prince were, over in Nice, France, filming under the cherry moon. I've heard the story from Paul and I heard the story from his former manager about, you know, he wasn't technically under contract and this guy was promising him like a two to three record deal and mm-hmm. Prince didn't want him to leave. I don't know if you can elaborate on that because the breakup kind of like of the family happened while you guys were there and Paul was in the States. Like, well, I, I know the elements of that whole scenario. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's an opportunity that Paul took. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 
we had a song that was out. Right. Um, I was in conversations with Paul. Um, we didn't sign a contract that was put in front of it because it needed to be restructured. Right. And um, I remember, I don't, I remember, I remember a conversation of, uh, let's wait until I get back from doing Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah. To do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, um, through a great friend, he's being offered a uh, record deal. And then there became a, uh, a bidding war with a couple of labels. Hmm. Um, of course, you know, if the deal ain't right, you don't sign it. Right. But one of those, one of those deals came to the head and, um, what do we do? I don't tell somebody not to do something because of the money. They, Paul, Paul had his needs. Like you just said earlier, um, he was receiving only a certain amount of money. I'm sure mm-hmm. there was some, some guidance through some people that, that felt that he should, you know, step out and, and go his own way. Right. You know, what's, what, what's a better, what's a better promotion of what you do than a song that's in the top 20? Right. <laughs> right. Coming you know, from, you know, the palette of, of Prince. Yeah. I mean, even what's, Paul. What's a, what's a better way? I mean, what's a better not way to really. promote yourself and get top dollar? And especially when you're having a top 20 hit and then you're like, do I have enough money to eat tonight? Do I, have, you know, like it's just frustrating. Yeah. So I understand mm-hmm. where he's coming from. I know that, mm-hmm. like I said. Exactly. Prince had big plans for him, but at the same time, it's like he needed those plans to be happening now, but Prince could not yeah. leave the filming of Under the Cherry Moon. I mean, I think he wanted Paul in the next movie to be the more stay character. He wanted him to be the rival. No. Well, you got to remember, too, Prince no. was only one person with, with great ideals. So he can only implement ideals right. as, as he could, one at mm-hmm. a time. Right now, or, back- or maybe two at a time, but something's going to lose attention. Right, some, 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 something's going to lose the the element of of having the the important stuff done when it needs to be done. And unfortunately, and a, a lot of Prince's projects ended up that way. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, especially for the family. Unfortunately, well, he still it didn't take away from his greatness, though. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Now, even Prince on the half-ass ideal is better than most. Right. Now, when when did he start talking to you about Under the Cherry Moon and wanting you to co-star with him? When was that all coming to be? When we were when we uh, when we were on the nineteen ninety nine tour. Wow, even back then, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Some elements we were hanging out, man. We were going to the the biggest clubs around. We were going to the biggest clubs in <laughs> in the country, in the world. Right. And Moulin Rouge. We were uh, Limelight, uh, Church, uh, uh, Studio Fifty Four. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we were giving VIP uh, membership cards, lifetime membership cards to those clubs. And you know, shoot, <laughs> you know, right. I sat up with him. He's like, I'm open a club. I'm I'm open three clubs. We're gonna make a lot of money. Right. This is what you need to do. We're gonna do this movie, Jerome. 
Mm. I'm writing this movie. Mm. This is what we need to do. Oh, we're going to travel. Well, look, come on. We're going, we're going to Nice. We're going to Rio de Janeiro. Right. We're going to go there and spend about seven days there. Oh, really? <laughs> seven days. What I need? A passport. That's all you need. Huh. I get purdy. I get purdy. Get purdy. Okay. Wow. I'm going to go hang out and I watch some of those songs from Under the Cherry Moon get created right there in the penthouse we Amazing. So you're watching at the penthouse be created. In Ipanema. Um, I'm playing, playing those songs. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Now. Crazy. You know, amazing dude. Uh, Again, again, being in the perfect position as a fan, (laughs) but as an employee and not honing in activity because that's what I'm around. I'm around creative spirit. Right. Now, I know at the beginning of the movie, there was a little bit of a creative difference with the person that was originally directing the movie to where Prince took it over himself. Um, And then there was a few other things like how you guys felt with the success of Purple Rain and how you were filming it. And, you know, Under the Cherry Moon is beloved by Prince fans. I just don't think the world, I think everyone was expecting Purple Rain Part 2. And that was part of the problem, not only with MTV, and we'll we'll get into that with MTV messing up that premiere contest. That's another thing. Did you guys know during the filming that, you know, were Warner Brothers executives or whatever, were they afraid that this wasn't going to have the success or did they believe in his vision enough to where they left him alone to do what he needed to do to make this movie? Well, again... I am. Um, I believe that they just didn't care. They didn't care. Uh-huh. For me, you know, right. we we went out. We set out. We did what we did. Mm-hmm. We got it. We got it in the cam. You know, again, Prince is operating this creative wave of promoting things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it was a great experience. You know, right. again, you know, we. Uh, you know, so some things could have been different, right? In in the uh, production and in the promotion, right? And all the tumultuous uh, pre-production stuff, you know, with Miss Lambert being let go. I don't know what that was about. You know, I I really don't know. You know, Prince right. didn't exude his his uh, disagreements in front of everybody. He was a right. businessman, right? You know, he, he may come out and you, you knew he was going through something. And, you know, I tap him and he's like, what's wrong, man? And mm-hmm. he quickly, you know, would, you know, let me know what's, what he was dealing with. And we'll be on to the next thing. Let's go get a drink. Let's go get some wine. Right. <laughs> and yeah. um, I, I, you know, that, that element of the production of Under the Cherry Moon was just an experience, man, that... Man, I'm dealing with Michael Bauhaus, one of the greatest cinematographers ever. Right. Before we did the movie, we we toured we toured to Versailles with Scorsese and his wife. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I know he wanted Scorsese at first, so that is true. He wanted Scorsese to direct the movie. 
Yeah, you know, we toured that. You know, Scorsese, he, he, they're having a great conversation. I don't know what happened from that either. But again, I'm, I'm in that that the best fan seat possible. Wow, watching my brother do what he does. Could we only imagine? Or could yeah. have I don't have to imagine. Wow. <laughs> well. With, you know what I mean? With, I feel I can I can be cocky about that because yeah. it's something that is that's in my vault. Right. Now I just wish, you know, in an alternate universe that we would have saw what would have happened if Scorsese did agree to direct a movie and, and how it would have came about. I'm sure they would have bumped heads, two creative geniuses like that, but still just to fathom the identity of seeing Prince Under Cherry Moon directed by Martin Scorsese. Well, That'd be mind blowing. Do, do you know this element? Do you remember the photo shoot, or you probably heard the photo about the photo shoot for the family's record? Okay, elaborate. Remember, remember the 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 hugely famous, popular, historic photographer that was taking those pictures, right? Enlighten me. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no. Okay, go ahead. Well, <laughs> Prince actually asked the photographer to move away from the camera and let him take the pictures. <laughs> That's Prince. That's Prince. So that's probably, you know, maybe it was for the best of what happened with Under the Cherry Moon. Now, I saw a couple months ago, like a, uh, an alternate beginning to Under the Cherry Moon actually started circulating online. Um, I wonder how that got out. Yeah, curious. Um, now, see, everyone's been led to believe, and I and I don't believe it to be true, uh, but especially when that alternate beginning came out and it was shot in black and white as well, there is supposedly this rumor, and I've been telling people, if you got it, show it to me because I don't believe it exists. People, people do think that there is a color version that exists around the cherry moon, but if the print... The entire print was turned black and white. All right. Do you think that there is a color version of Under the Cherry Moon that exists somewhere? In Princess Vault. <laughs> okay. Then we need to get the estate and everything settled because we need that color version out. And, you know, well, <laughs> the process that was done back then. Right. You know, I, and, I, and I love the idea that uh, the, the product was done in black and white. It, it, mm. it, it was pretty to me. Um, but some of your um, outfits though some of your outfits I saw like photos on the set that were color were mm -hmm. quite amazing and quite colorful you know absolutely but that's what made it stand out in black and white right you know there's a art there's an artistry way to look at it in, in the, the, the black and white sepia tone stuff um mm -hmm. Films back then, the process, you had to shoot it in color and change it to black and white. Right. So when you ask the question, is there a color version of it? I'm sure there is. Hmm. But it was mastered and finalized in black and white. Right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Amazing, 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 amazing moment in time 
that that whole process from from creating it and doing songs all over the country right uh, all over the world and then uh, being immersed into a production with with the amazing cast and crew um, right uh, Mary Lambert you know, was a really, really cool director, really cool mm -hmm. lady. But I guess the, the creativities just didn't match up at the time with Prince. Um, right. uh, Christian Scott Thomas, you know, meeting her. Emmanuel Saleh, meeting mm -hmm. her. And meeting some of the guys that just had been part of South of France's uh, entertainment community who hung out with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in their younger days. It's just amazing. Right. You know, you know, being over there, hanging out with the owner of Fiat, uh, a driver right. living in St. Paul de Vence, you know, Wally and, and um, Gilbert Davidson was part of my, <laughs> we were part of a crew that hung out over there, you know, right. going to Monaco, hanging out with, uh, some of the, the entities of the world, you know, you know, right. Khashoggi and uh, Prince Rainier and uh, who who can talk about that? You know, right. having a week, having a weekend where I get to take the yacht, 183 foot yacht hmm. and, and call Princess Stephanie up and, or hang out with Princess Stephanie and her friends and, Float from Antibes to uh, to uh, Monaco right. after partying in the clubs and, hmm. and other people from around the world. It was great. It was yeah. great. And all of that, you know, being respectful to, to every one of the, the folks involved. Right. And, you know, I, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. <laughs> no, not at all. Now... Speaking of ashamed, um, I feel MTV and their promotion of it is an issue. Like the whole, um, how they promote the movie and like they were going to have a premiere in a town and they thought it would be somewhere in LA. And then it ended up in Sheridan, Wyoming, of all places. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> exactly and okay so all I gotta say is is I don't understand why MTV didn't honor the contest but then along with Warner Brothers Pictures have the premiere in LA or somewhere else like how and I would be crazy upset how and Pr Prince honored the deal but how upset what how upset was he that it ended up in freaking Sheridan, Wyoming, of all places. And, you know, Prince made the best of the situation, performed at the, at the Holiday Inn, where he almost hit his head on the roof while diving off of it. Mm -hmm. um, like, what was he upset? I mean, obviously he honored it, but I felt that Warner Brothers and MTV should have made better on their promise. I mean, you're it's kind of like someone was kind of, in my opinion, whether it was Joe Davola was the producer of MTV right now. They came up with a contest idea. Uh, it seems like they wanted him to fail a little bit. That's how it came off to me. Cause why do you do something like that? You know? Well, uh, uh, again, 
you have to be a man of your word. Mm-hmm. You have to honor your deals. Right. Um, who knows what happened in the contest? How come it couldn't be shared in Wyoming at one? <laughs> right. You know, it was a random, it was a random contest, right? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> then Prince said we're going to sign shared in Wyoming. I was like, where the hell is Sheridan, Wyoming? <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> is there such a place? The only place I knew Sheridan was Sheridan Avenue on the north side. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and that's not you know, how you Prince, funk over Prince, there. Prince brought a full-fledged production to Sheridan, and he didn't change stride. We went up there. We sat through the movies. We 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 went into the community that won. Mm-hmm. It was like Martians landing <laughs> on Earth right. <laughs> and having to be accepted. Um, mm-hmm. I think Prince did an amazing job at mm-hmm. whether he was upset <laughs> or not. You know, um, I would have been. That's all I'm saying. I would have been. Prince, Prince, in his own way, dealt with that scenario. Whether it was uh, a, a trifling way of doing business right. through that, through the the contest that was set up, and you know, you know, everybody drops the ball in something that you do business wise. When right. there's more than six people involved, how do you get all those people in line? Right. You know, I think. We all should take our hats off to him for 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 living up to who he wanted to be, mm-hmm. especially in that situation. Now, you know, I remember I remember a cowboy up there saying, "What do you think of Prince?" I want to tie him to the back of my pickup and take him for a ride. Okay, that's a little, that's Brokeback Mountain. That's that's a different version. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's you know it's clear. <laughs> now, I'll say this: the MTV premiere gave us one sparkling classic quote when Martha was with Prince's father John and with the contest winner of Lisa Barber, uh, and then Prince kind of interferes in the interview, being playful, and Martha. Ask Prince, Prince, how are you feeling tonight? And then Martha goes, I feel. And then Prince goes, Martha, I feel Purple. with my hands. No, I go, I feel with my hands, Martha. And then Martha, taken aback by it, says, can I get a demonstration? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got to talk with Martha about that. But it was a classic line. Prince, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. I feel with my hands, Martha. <laughs> yeah. Now. Yes. After Under the Cherry Moon, after the hit and run, the first initial hit and run tour of 86. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And you were starting to do stuff with Janet Jackson and Jimmy and Terry, correct? Or is that not? I had always always done things with Terry and Jimmy. It never ceased. It hasn't stopped to the day. But you were performing with her on stage for... The control we video a, and a few other yeah, things. We did control video. At that time, um, I started getting, you know, you asked earlier, was I getting any uh, bites for other things for my career? Yes, I had right. been getting 
offers from AM Records, Herb Alpert asked me to choreograph and 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 John McClain, you know, right. great friend, um, right. asked me for some of my creativity and through uh, video concepts throughout the AM days um, to choreographing shows and, and being in videos. Right. Um, I was I was doing quite well at that time, you know, going into that place where that Prince, you know, honed me in on and gave me the confidence to to start building, you know, uh, a palette right. of creative uh, imagery. Right. Um, yes, I yeah I went into it, you know, Herb Albert, keep your eye on me, uh, uh, diamonds with Janet and, and Herb Albert. Um, right. I, I remember, I remember being offered uh, something to do with Sting, but I had to do something with Prince, so I couldn't do it. Right. I had to do Raspberry Beret. Huh. Maybe five. <laughs> so there was, there was, so, there was no plans to make you part of like Janet's tour or whatnot, and do stuff with her, right? Um, you know, you know, Terry has said it many times. Okay. You know, whenever they do something, they always try to include the band members from the time mm. in it. Right. Regardless of what anybody thinks, he always brings us in. Um, I, again, being in the position in the favorite fan seat of the world, mm. um, I've capitalized on it and I've taken advantage of of. What, what would you do here? Oh, come in and do this background. Oh, come and do this chant. Um, what would you do here? Uh, right. We're going to do a video with Janet. We need some choreography. Uh, uh, so on and so forth. So, you know, uh, right time. Always prepare. Always right. prepare. Okay. Always prepare. You have to prepare. Be ready. You don't have to get ready. Right. Now, I'm curious about this. Since you said that he was actually talking about the end of the Cherry Moon movie during the 1999 tour. When did his um, process of what he wanted Paisley Park Studios and what Paisley Park is, uh, or was at that time, when did that start coming to fruition that that was something that he wanted to make happen and create happen and keep it in Chanhassen, Minnesota? He always had an idea of building a place mm-hmm. where he could go. Where right. his band could go to create. Mm-hmm. It was his dream. Right. And he stayed with his dream. You know, there's many times where um, sitting with him and we would talk, and he would come from a scenario with a band, and he would be frustrated. Right. And he would say, I wish I could just put my brain in their head. Huh. Huh. Interesting. You no, know, contrary to what a lot of people want to take and, and say they're part of. Right. I know a lot of those little tidbit moments that, you know, he was happy. Hmm. But he wasn't. Uh, uh, going to stop because he was happy. 
Right. <laughs> it's just so amazing that he had the vision of stuff. I mean, you know, he had what he wanted to be, released a song called Paisley Park, 85, and then even called the label that. Mm -hmm. um, and That's always been a dream of his. Yeah. You know. That was his goal. You know, look at this. Uh -huh. How much did he object to the way record companies ran their business with his product? All the time. <laughs> why wouldn't he, if he had a chance to, to go out and do his own thing, why wouldn't he do it? Right. You know, how many years, how many years before the internet really kicked in with the, you know, the surfing and downloading and all that stuff, did he object to it? Almost over a decade. Where are we at right now? We're two decades removed from the internet being around and they still couldn't catch up to what he wanted. And and he believed in it and mm -hmm. it was real. You know, right. he's, he's monetize my money, right? Right. They're not, they're not, come on. Yeah. Like, um, just to have the state-of-the-art productions and put it in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then people would think that he he was crazy, you know, put it in a well, suburb like Chan Hudson, but he, he made it work. He control with it being right where it needed to be, right, right there in the country on the outskirts of Minneapolis. Right. No would, reason for you to be peeking over his wall. No, it wouldn't have. If it, you didn't live there. <laughs> absolutely. It wouldn't have worked in Los Angeles, even the San Fernando Valley or what it wouldn't have worked it would have been it, something it, different it, it was a way for him to get away from everything to get away as he said the dream factory in la to get away from stuff ah thank you for listening to part one of the jerome benton one-on-one -on -one interview on the dr funk podcast tune in next week for part two where we delve in to the wreck of stove and Mo. Break a stout. Break a stout. Break a stout.